Would you pray with me as we begin? God, I thank you for each person in this room. I just ask right now that you would speak clearly, that your spirit would move freely in convicting us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's great to be together tonight, and thanks to you who may be joining us online as well. My name is Jess Adkins. I have the pleasure of being here at Whitewater about 15 months, a little over a year, still a little newbie trying to figure everything out. Pleasure of leading a portion of our staff and our ministry here. I've had a great, great time in doing that. But I just have to say this. Many of you I've gotten to know a little bit. Some of you I've gotten to know better. But for those of you I've not totally gotten a chance to meet, I've just said hey to or whatever, I look forward to meeting you because if you're anything like the people I've already met, it is a good deal. There's a lot of good people that are here that comprise our church. So to start tonight, I just want to give you a brief intro of who I am so you know where I'm coming from and then we're going to dive in and continue where we're at in the book of Jonah. So again, I was born and raised in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, so a true, a true Buckeye way back. Um, actually, many Saturday afternoons, Saturdays during the fall, we would get up early in the morning. We would drive down to St. John's Arena and we would listen to the Ohio State University band practice. We'd go out for lunch and then we'd go out to the horseshoe in the afternoon and watch the Buckeyes dominate. Can I just say OH? Oh, there's a couple of you in here. But anyways, I also have a true confession. That it's good for the heart, so allow me to do this. I am a true West Sider. Now, let me tell you this. At the end of my eighth grade year, we moved to Cincinnati, and I began my schooling at Western Hills High School, graduated from there. Uh, yeah, woo, a few West Siders. Uh, Mustangs back in the day, and then went on to Cincinnati Bible College. And from there, that's where I met our illustrious leader, David Vaughn. Now, when I first met David Vaughn, this was the David that I met. I think we have a, a picture of who he looked like then. <laughs> that, man, what a sharp dude. I mean, that is great. But before you laugh too hard, I must let you see the Jess that he met at that time. <laughs> Woo! You talk about, you know, froze were popular back then. That way they were kicking in. So both of us obviously have gone a little less on the hair deal and, you know, we've kind of matured over the years and done these great things. But in all seriousness, it has been great to be here, to work under his leadership. He is such a devout and really great leader of Jesus Christ. And so I've, I've appreciated our experience over the years. We haven't always been super connected, but we've always been connected through other friends and different people. And so it's just been great to be back, to be under his leadership and work with him. And I'm really excited about the future and what God has for us as a body and where he's taking us. And so I'm just privileged to be a part of this community that we call Whitewater. And also just a side note, if you would keep David and Don in your prayers this weekend, they're traveling to Virginia uh, to spend some time with family and friends uh, just to remember and recapture the legacy of his mom's life. Uh, so please just be in prayers. They, they travel throughout the weekend and stuff for them. I know they'd appreciate that so much. So we're in the third week of a series called Running from God, looking at the Old Testament book, the book of Jonah, basically taking a chapter each week. We've been looking at this prophet who is kind of a runaway, reluctant prophet of God. But the story begins to take a change today as we dive in. So let me just give you a quick recap. If you weren't here the first week, uh, Tyler McKenzie did an excellent job of really uh, shaping up the whole 
purpose of what our lives should be about. And he gave a view too of Nineveh, the city where Jonah was called to go by God. But as you may recall, Jonah actually did not go to Nineveh. He, instead of going on a camel to Nineveh, he hopped on the boat the opposite direction to get out of town. And we see that he was running away from God. And rightfully so, because Nineveh was a very evil and a very violent place, a city. And he knew they had no clue of Jehovah God, of who he represented, so he wasn't going to go there. So he went the opposite way, and we find him running away from God. Then last week, David brought us through chapter 2, and we find Jonah then in a situation, trying to get away on that boat that he jumped on. A great sea, a great uh, storm came on the sea. And after a while, he realized it was his fault. He began to understand what was going on. And he, he pleaded with the crew members, crew members, hey, just throw me over. It'll all be good. Everything will calm down and be great. And they did it, and it was after a while. And thus, he ended up, the Lord provided a great fish, which swallowed him. And there he spent. And there's where the bulk of chapter 2, which David talked about, was his prayer. A prayer of repentance. A prayer of turning himself around. A prayer of coming away from God to God. And so last week we see where Jonah really was running to God and admitting what he had done, admitting his low point of his life, maybe even death, as some speculated. But here then, the fish, at the end of chapter 2, we see that then the Lord ordered the fish or commanded the fish to spit Jonah up onto the beach. And so there's Jonah. And certainly, as David had suggested last week, probably looking a little different because of the, the, the acids of the, the great fish's belly, because of the sea salt. He was probably bleached. He was probably white. He was different when he was spewed up. And we know for sure that not only was his color changed, but his inside. Many other things were changed. He was a changed man because then he was running to God. And so that's where we pick up the story today, a story of great hope that clearly defines God's mercy for every single one of us as we look at how Jonah responded and not only for Jonah, but for every one of us. Because the good news is that whatever you walked in this room with tonight, whatever's weighing you down, whatever's weighing heavy on your shoulders, you don't have to leave with it. Because we can be redeemed and run with God just like Jonah was. And that's the message, that's the hope that I hope we can convey together in our time together. So first of all, we start off in Jonah 3. If you want to open up your Bibles or on your app, you want to go there and look. We're going to basically go through verse by verse. In Jonah 3, the very first verse, we see Jonah's commission. Jonah is called. He's commissioned by God. And this is a beautiful, beautiful verse. It says, then the Lord spoke to Jonah. Uh, would you say it with me? Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. A second time. And I know it's two words in our, our English, but in the Hebrew, it was one word. It was shanae. The Lord came to Jonah a shanay, a second time. He gave him another chance. A dude who flat out disobeyed and ran the opposite way from God. He actually got a second chance. Because you see, that's the kind of God that we serve. A God of not only second chances, but third, fourth, fifth chances. And it's hard sometimes to understand that because you and I, we live in a world where it's very, very hard to build trust once it's been broken. Motives are always questioned. You're always wondering about why people are doing things and, and what's behind what they're doing. That's just the way we live. Every one of us, we question people. Many times we just, if they've done something wrong, we forget that. I'm not giving up on them. I'm not trying that again. We've all been there and done that. 
In fact, unfortunately, I must admit, the other night at UDF, I was standing there, I go in uh, to the ice cream counter because UDF chocolate malts are the best in town, we all know that. Went in to get one, you know, there's only a couple people in front of me, and so I'm thinking, oh, this will be good, this will be quick, I had some groceries in the car, they aren't gonna melt down or anything, we're all good. I got in there and I could quickly tell this was gonna be a longer process than I thought. But since my wife was with me and this was for her too as well, I thought, well, I'll stand here, there's only a couple people in front of me. 20 minutes later, I get my chocolate malt. You know, he, he had done everything perfect. He had washed things out after each person. He took it over the thing. He, and then he was out of the lid and he had to go back to the back room. And then he came, I mean, it, whew, it was everything in me just to stay patient, stay godly in those moments. Then the cracker, the buster, the deal breaker for me, I get to the cash register and I'm cheap, I'm frugal. He charges the regular price and it was actually on sale. And I about lost it. I didn't say anything. I said, oh, thank you. Appreciate that. I grabbed it and got out of there as quick as possible thinking, I'm never going back to that place again. Yeah, that's stupid. Forget it. I mean, people operate like that. Forget it. I'm not going there. Now, let me be clear. I'm going back to UDF. Just maybe not that one. But you know, you've been in similar situations where you've said those, you've had those experience, you've had those situations and you just made those comments. Giving up on them, forget that, I'm not doing that again. You know, we've been there, we've all been there. But thank goodness, we don't serve a God who thinks like we do. We serve a God who gives us a shine, a second chance, and many other chances, as long as we position ourselves for that. And so we see that God came to Jonah, a shine, a second time, and offered him a great opportunity. And what we're going to see in this third chapter is that God actually took a mess and turned it into a miracle. And I don't know about your life, but I've been in a lot of messes. I create most of my own messes in my life. We all do. When you begin to look at a mess, you look at a man who was covered by juices from a, a great fish, vomited out, completely different and changed, probably bleached and white. He was a mess. He disobeyed God, gone the opposite way. Now he was coming back. He would have been a mess. And God was about to turn a miracle out of him. Think about, you talk about a messy picture, about a man who was beaten beyond recognition. A man who was whipped, bloody, a crown of thorns thrust on his head, went to a cross, a bloodstained cross. That's a mess. But three days later, my friends, a miracle, a risen Lord, conquered sin and death for all times, for every one of us, for all people. That's a miracle. And God will do that same mess to miracle in your life because he's done it in mine. But we've got to run with God. We've got to get connected to this God who wants to give us grace time and time and time again. You know, let me just clarify. We don't have to have it all together to run with God to get in with God. We don't have to have our lives together. If that was the case, we'd all be in sad shape. And yet, you know, as a pastor, you hear that many times over. Well, once I stop doing this or I stopped, then I'll come to God. Then I'll turn my life over because then I'll... No, that's not the way it works. God is available now. He takes us as we are and he makes us who he wants us to be. And he also, in fact, blows away the myth that if you've messed up your first chance in life, your second one's probably not going to be too good either because he comes in and he shows us a life of a renegade runaway prophet disobedient and turns a nation to God because of his obedience and his turn. God is here for us, a shenay. And you know, many times what we do is we throw ourselves out of the game. 
we disqualify ourselves because of some past experience. We can't get by forgiving ourselves because of some past sin where God has already forgiven it. He's already cleansed you and put it in the past, but yet we're still living in it. He wants to take you from that and put you in the present where you can run with him more fully and freely than you ever have in your entire life. Running with God is a great thing to go where he's calling, to be what he wants, to say what he wants us to say, to talk to those neighbors, those coworkers, to be free, to be all that he wants us to be. Verse two, I love it. He says, get up and go. He says, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. And the beauty here, again, in the original language, these two words, get up, actually are one word in the Hebrew language. And it means do it now, suddenly, immediately. Don't think any more about it. You need to get up and go. And you know what I think God's really saying in these first couple of verses is pretty plain. If he comes to me, if he comes to you, he gives us a second chance. You know what he expects us to do? Get up and do it now. Because you know as well as I do, if you don't do it now, you're going to talk yourself out of it. Somebody else is going to talk you out of it. The time's going to come. Things are going to happen. And you're never going to get to it. Don't talk yourself out of what God has already called you into. Don't talk yourself out of what God has already called you into. So important as we see the life of Jonah, the example that he's given us here. Verse three, we go right on. The time, this time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh. This time, he believed. In the past, not so much. He disobeyed. This time, he obeyed what God had said, and he went where God was sending him. He was willing to do what God wanted him to do. And if I can share this with you, I believe that obedience to God is the secret power of a spiritual life. Obedience to God will motivate and propel you in ways that you've never been in a spiritual life when you go out there in God's name to do what he's called you to do by being obedient. And so here, I'm imagining Jonah's mind, God's sending him, he's got his message, he's going to Nineveh, he's heading that way. And so like any good preacher, Jonah is going over his script. Okay, what am I going to say? How am I going to say it? How am I going to grab people's attention? And he's thinking, oh, yeah, by the way, these people don't like the God I'm going to talk about. And the message I have is not very good. They're known for violence. They're probably going to kill me. But he still keeps on going. And I just may say a side note tonight, I didn't have the pressure when I was preparing for tonight, and I appreciate that. I wasn't worried about anybody killing me or getting violent over me, but that's what Jonah was dealing with. Now, these people had a reputation of being mean and violent and not liking his type. So I could just imagine being a great orator that he was, a prophet of God that he went through and he said, man, I've got to come up with some great news, some really good news, a high note, a great place I can start, and then I'll drop the hammer. And so he's thinking through this, and I imagine it's somewhat like the doctor who called in a patient. You might have heard about this. And he said, hey, I've got some good news and bad news. We've all gone through those things. And what do you choose first? Oh, the patient says, well, I'll take the good news. And the doctor proceeded to tell him, well, you have three weeks to live. And the patient was stunned, taken back a bit and said, well, what's the bad news? And the doctor said, well, I should have told you two weeks ago. So this is, where, this is where Jonah's at. This is the kind of message he's got. No good news, man. This is the message God's given him to deliver to these heathens, to these people who are probably going to kill him. 
when he gives it to him. So verse four, it says, on that day that Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds. He shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. And actually there's another three days in the whole thing. We talked about three days in the belly of the great fish, three days throughout the Bible. Three days it took him, he went around the city preaching this message, shouting it out to whomever would listen that in 40 days, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. No more, gone, done, history, and everything about you. Now, I think this teaches us a lesson about God's mercy. It's not an easy one, but I think it's a very biblical and truthful one. And that's that God's mercy is a limited time offer. You see, we don't have forever. We don't even have the promise of tomorrow. And if we're to be quite honest, some of us may be in day 39 right now. And we still have not surrendered our lives. We have still not allowed God's grace to come into our hearts and take over and control of our lives. And so I just encourage you, if you're one of those people, to think through that because God's mercy is available. His grace is ready to be shed upon you, wiping you through like floodgates that will come into your life. So 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. I love A.W. Tozer, who is a theologian, and he said this. He said, the world is waiting to hear an authentic voice, a voice from God, not an echo of what others are saying and doing, an authentic voice. And you know what? I think that's exactly what Jonah had in this situation. He had an authentic voice from God to give. And you know what? God has given each one of us by the stories, by the things he's put in our lives that we have worked through an authentic story and a voice to share with the people that come in our pathways, our coworkers, our neighbors, our classmates, perhaps. And we have the same opportunity to share God's message. So that's Jonah's commission. Now let's go on and let's look at Nineveh's confession. As we go into verse five, we see this writing there. The people of Nineveh, and believed God's message and from the greatest to the least. Now catch this, they didn't believe Jonah, they believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. So now what's happening here is unbelievable. Again, referring to the city of Nineveh, for them to respond in such a way is just simply crazy. It is crazy. They have been following pagan gods and idols for all their lives. They know not Jehovah God, the one God. They have no idea, but yet this preacher comes in with a message that's compelling from a God who is loving and they're all over it. They're repenting and they're listening. It would be something like, to give you an example, today, if I were to say that Howard Stern has now gone into Christian radio, and in fact, he's doing a talk show on sexual purity. I mean, that's how hard it would be, be to believe that these Ninevites were turning to this God, to God Jehovah. It was crazy how he was working in the hearts, what was going on in the city because of Jonah's message, because of God's message through Jonah. It was a huge magnitude. And in fact, over the next four verses, we see multiple times in the original language, the word repentance is used. And I think that's the key because really every repentance begins with believing in God, just like for the Ninevites. 
It always begins with believing in God. In order to believe in God, you have to hear about God. And that's why any revival that has ever taken place in history, any time of repentance in our own lives collectively or personally, always begins with believing in God and hearing God's word and responding to the truth of God's word in our lives. And so in the Old Testament, many times what people would do really to come closer to God, to show their repentant heart, to say they're sorry, is they would do, they would do a fast. Many times today we may do it during the Lent season, going into Easter, or other times of our lives when we have important decisions or heavy things that are weighing on us. It's a great time to fast from something and to focus on someone else like God. And so that's what they were doing. They wanted to be reminded. So they put on this sackcloth or burlap in some translations to say, which was this itchy, scratchy stuff. So they would be reminded every time they turned, every time they walked about their sin, about the position they had been in and how they wanted to change and be different. And so that's what was symbolizing here by doing this sackcloth. And really that's what repentance is. It's just a turnaround. It's a 180 degree. And so whenever repentance is involved, it's not business as usual. It's the fact it's the very opposite. It's change. It's different. It's coming before a God who wants to show mercy on us time and time again. So this is where they're at. And then we go on to verse 6. And we see that the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying. And he stepped down from his throne. He took off his royal robes. Now, just a quick little note. The king to step off his throne in the middle of the day just doesn't happen. This is the king of Assyria in Nineveh at that time. It just doesn't happen. To take off royal robes in public never happened. That was not part of the, the code of being a king. You didn't do that. It was showing susceptibility. It was showing volatility to people. You didn't do that as the king, as a lead ruler. What he was doing here is he was showing repentance before God in front of all of his people. It was crazy, amazing what he was doing. He was saying, I am unworthy. I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness just like every single one of you. And so he goes before God and basically is repentant. What he does is he officially kind of stamps what the people have already been doing as they've heard this message. They've been repenting. They've been putting on sackcloth or burlap. And now he is conferring as a city, this is our approach. This is how we're going to receive this word that we've been given from God. And so in verse 7, he goes on, then the decree and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. And verse 8 continues, the people and animals alike must wear garments of mourning. And everyone must pray earnestly to God and they must turn from evil ways, their evil ways, and stop all their violence. So basically what he's saying is let us call for a timeout. Let us look deep. Let us passionately call out to a God who can save us, a God who loves us. Let us turn from the wrong we've done and let's accept his grace into our lives. And this is what they're experiencing. And in verse 9, it is great because he goes on and the king says, basically, why would we do these things? Why would we do this? And the king says, who can tell? Some versions say, who knows? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. Now, again, this is unbelievable. These people have no knowledge, no past history of this God, Jehovah, the Lord God. They have idols. 
They have the gods of everything. And yet somehow they have enough faith to say, the king does, who knows if we do these things, if we're repentant and we go before, maybe, just maybe, he won't bring about this destruction in our city. Probably on a very tinge of hope that it was a God who came to warn them and not just wipe them out. Other than that, I don't know what else they were basing their faith on, but it's huge that the king would do this. And what that allows is because of Nineveh's confession, we see God's compassion. In verse 10, we see God's compassion. And we see when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind. It did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. This, my friends, is God's grace. It's not getting what you deserve, like that speeding ticket last week, and it's getting what you don't deserve, like forgiveness for now and all eternity, for everything you've ever done wrong. That's what God's grace is all about, his compassion. And that same grace, the same God that gave Jonah a Shanae, that came to Nineveh with his grace, comes to each and every one of us and says, you've got another chance. I've got something else for you that's better for you. Don't stay where you're at. Don't be content there. Receive what I have for you and come to what I desire for you to be. Individually, grace is available. Collectively, if we look around, we live in a nation that's pretty messed up and I don't have to rattle out a bunch of facts and I don't have to share any stories. You've seen them all probably just today. We live in a nation that is messed up, morally corrupt, racially divided, politically torn, and on and on it goes. But what I love is a promise that God gave and that he actually acted on it, we see in Nineveh. But he gave in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. I don't know if you've ever heard this prayer, this promise before, but it's a great one. And what I'd love to do is ask for you to read it with me right now as a prayer for our nation. Listen to the words, let's say it together. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. You see what God promises for us and what he's telling me in that verse? is that our hope is not based upon what happens in the next year and a half in the 2020 election, who ends up in Washington. The hope of this land does not lie in who's in Washington. It lies in the hearts and the hands of you and I, God's people. That's where it lies. People who are earnestly praying, who are repenting, who care about the nation, the trajectory of where we're going. That's what will turn this nation around. It won't be any one person in one place, geographically speaking. So I want to challenge you, no matter how you are, where you're at, to run with God more completely. I want to kind of close out here and give you some practical ways to think through what it looks like to run with God because a greater connection leads to a new direction. The greater we have a connection to God, he will lead us in a new direction. He will guide your steps. He will lead you in paths you've never gone down before that you never even knew were available. 
And they'll be so much greater and so much better because his ways are higher than our ways. But we've got to turn our lives over to a God who wants to run with us, alongside of us. And of course, it begins with things we've talked about through this whole series, just getting into God's word. We've talked about reading through the short book of Jonah multiple times, four simple chapters. It's an easy thing to do. There are many tools we have today. I use the YouVersion app, which I do all the time for my Bible reading. I have a Bible verse, the Bible verse of the day come up, lots of different things. For those of you who don't, not into the digital stuff, you like the hard copies, we have copies at our info desk of our daily devotions, our daily bread devotions. It's a great way to begin to get into the word, begin to spend time to listen, to receive from God, to know God more clearly because it's all about a relationship. And so we have to know who's in and on that other portion of the relationship. Some of us probably need to connect with some other people who are on that same path, who are running with God already. We need to get connected with them. There are multiple great ways to do that. I'd encourage you, if you have not been to Alpha, I would encourage you to jump in that. It started this past Monday night. It was a great turnout. But you can come again this next Monday. You register online or just show up 6.30, dinner. A great opportunity to sit around tables, discuss, talk about God, learn, share life with other people. We also have some things called table groups coming up in October where we'll be meeting smaller groups on Thursday nights. I encourage you to be a part of one of those. If you aren't connected in community with other people who are focused and directed in the same way you are, I'd encourage you to think about some of those options in your life. You know, of course, I've got to mention being a dude. Uh, I've got to mention Dude Day. I know when you came in, some flyers were handed out. If you haven't registered for that day, October 12th, it's going to be a fun day. It's going to be a great day, uh, adventure, some good food, some challenge. It will challenge us to be men of God who are running with God. And so I encourage you to think about that and sign up for that, be a part of that. You know, over the years of ministry that I've been in, I believe that when we are running most with God is when we are most like God or Jesus Christ as we saw God reflected on this earth. And the things that I pull out from his life were that he served, that he suffered, and they sacrificed. And I think in our lives, when we experience those elements, that's when we are closest to God and running the most with God. And quite frankly, uh, over my 36 years of ministry, I have never found any tool that provides those three things in one experience greater than a short-term mission trip. You serve in multiple ways, depending on where you go. You sacrifice some things, maybe some resources, some time, some energy. You suffer, that's a little harsh word, inconveniences, some things that come along with it. But nonetheless, it changes you dramatically. And so my challenge would be to you who have not experienced that, to consider that. In this next year, in 2020, we're going to have six different trips, short-term trips that we're going to offer as a church. Some very close, easy-reach trips, as I would call them. Some a little further away. They cost a little money, more money, take a little more time. Lots of things everywhere on the spectrum for anybody, wherever you're at. And so I would just ask you to consider that. You see a little information at the bottom of the, the bulletin there. We're going to have some meetings about all of these trips in November. You're also going to be receiving information this week in some different ways, push notification social and through Solve 7 newsletter about all those details, where we're going, what's involved, and what the commitment is. I would simply say again, as I said earlier, don't talk yourself out of what God has already called you into. Don't talk yourself out of what God has already called you into. 
This is a perfect way to grow, to know, to run with God. And so I would challenge you with that thought. Hey guys, so glad that you joined us online today. Keep in touch in the future. Again, you can text the word new to the number on the screen or pray to the number on the screen. And we'd love to pray with you. Have a great week.